and welcome back to Write It Out of LBS, the podcast that brings the LBS community together. I'm your host, Catherine Laren. Each week, we explore how disruption and innovation are positively shaking up sectors in the economy. This week, we're focused on fintech and more specifically, point of sales market. I am super thrilled to be joined by Chris Holloman, founder of Divido, an award-winning retail finance SaaS platform. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Great to be here. So brief background on Chris, and I was really struggling to keep this brief given his many accomplishments, but he was employee number one at Glassdoor outside the US and led all the European operations for about two years. Um, Glassdoor was actually acquired for $1.2 billion. Fairly impressive. He's also completed an EMBA, Executive MBA at Said Business School, and has been running Divido for the last six years. The company is backed by the same investors as iZettle, TransferWise, and Revolut. But he's also the best-selling author of a book called The Social MBA. Chris, before we kick off, what is your fun fact? A fun fact about me, I guess something that's consuming me at the moment is that I am preparing for my first ever Ironman in about six months. And I only got my bicycle a month ago. Um, so I'm kind of, I feel like uh, I'm out on, on thin ice um, getting into the, the groove of things. But uh, yeah, doing an Ironman, I guess, is a fun fact. That, that is very, very impressive. How are you doing the swimming leg of the Ironman preparation? At the moment, I'm actually not doing any preparation for the swimming. Um, <laughs> funny, my, my swimming coach, she did email me uh, last weekend some instructions of how you can keep up the swimming, swimming motions uh, indoors on your <laughs> coffee table uh, in the living room, but it looked a little bit too complicated. So I'm just started to pause it for, for another couple of months. Fair enough. And I've also had the privilege to briefly work with you, Chris, on the London Cap project at LBS. So my very naughty understanding of the point of sales market is that if I, for example, go to the Apple store and I want a new Mac laptop, instead of paying the one grand up front for the laptop, I can pay in monthly installments per year. And your technology makes it much quicker for me to get that credit approval for from the lenders is, is that right exactly so divido is uh, an end-to-end loan origination platform and we license it to retailers that want to offer consumers access to finance just like you described in the case of apple but we also license it to banks that want to white label it and give it to their own retailers to uh, offer those retailers to offer it to their customers so effectively we are the the brains behind making this possible for you as an end user Okay. And given that the main kind of industry you operate is kind of retail, and that's taken a massive hit, but also we've seen challenger banks such as Bo, which is the LBS bank winding down. How is your market, uh, the point of sales market, surviving the current pandemic? That's a great question. Uh, interestingly, from day one, we divide, decided to make Divido agnostic to retail verticals and industries. So we today have quite a healthy spread over different industries from travel, which obviously is uh, experiencing big difficulties right now. But we also work in automotive. We also work in consumer electronics. Um, and in consumer electronics, they are seeing a, a tremendous uptick right now. So they're actually selling way more the last four weeks than they had in the previous four weeks. So there's sort of swings and roundabouts for us in terms of who are doing well and not so well on the retail side. Um, on the lender side, we work with a spectrum of lender, everything 
banks, everything from challenger banks all the way to traditional incumbent national banks. Uh, and all of them have different risk appetites. And especially if you look at the, the bigger banks, they have seen many recessions and financial difficulties in the past. So they have already factored that into their business model. Um, the one thing that will not change, regardless of the economic cycles, is that banks lend money for a living. That's the reason for a bank to exist. So whilst we see a slight tightening of the lending criteria, banks will continue to lend. Um, and um, so, so we, we're seeing that, that some banks are doubling down. They recognize that point of sale finance is actually a more secure form of lending than just doing willy-nilly uh, unsecured personal loans through a price comparison website where you never really know where the customer might end, ends up spending that money. So um, lenders are, are reconfirming the commitment to continuing to lend. And um, yeah, we, we don't see that changing apart from perhaps a tightening of the conditions. Again, this is where the divider platform is helpful for retails because with us, they can connect to multiple lenders. So if one lender says no, we can help them place their loan application with a second lender and so on, which increases the chances of each customer being approved. And you mentioned challenger banks. A lot of the challenger banks, they started with savings accounts and uh, international money transfer. And not a lot of them have actually ventured into the lending space, but we think that will be kind of the next frontier for them as they look to diversify revenue sources. And again, trying to uh, mirror some of the successes that traditional banks have had when it comes to generating revenue for, for their shareholders. Um, so, so we work with a few challenger lenders already, and we can see this is going to only get uh, bigger over time. With regards to the specific example you mentioned with the RBS challenger brand, I think, RBS have a lot of uh, different products and propositions, and I think it's now a question of them consolidating focus and efforts and doubling down on their core competencies and capabilities. And, and I guess, unfortunately, perhaps they recognize that this challenger bank proposition was a little bit too left field for them to, to pull it off successfully. But I know for a fact they're working on a lot of other stuff that's super exciting. So watch this space. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, it sounds like given the nature of the business you're so well kind of diversified that it doesn't matter if one sector or one particular customer category is underperforming it's actually made up by another customer category so it's kind of business as usual um, for you so what are some of the silver linings that you see coming out of this uh, this crisis well so i think that in times of economic uncertainties consumers are more than ever looking for alternative ways to pay uh, you mentioned you uh, doing the hypothetical iPhone purchase. Um, spending £1,000 in, in, in one go, it's a very considerate decision. So given the fact that people are wondering about the next paycheck or perhaps um, mortgage or whatever it might be, uh, they will be even less inclined to make a big ticket purchase. So that is sort of the, the number one observations. Consumers will be more wary about making big, big investments. So as a retailer, their, their kind of objective is to sell more. So they have to try even harder now to accommodate customers. So what, we are, what we're seeing coming out of this is that this is going to fuel the drive towards making point of sale finance or retail finance a hygiene factor for retailers, especially if you sell something costing more than a few hundred pounds, again, where the consumer might need to think twice before parting ways with the money or making this investment. 
So we think consumers would be looking out for this. Um, they will seek out actively retailers that offer point of sale finance. Retailers will need to up their game and offer this as a, as a standard. Um, and I think that's sort of the, 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 the key objective here. And, and that what we also see on the back of that is obviously the shift to e-commerce. More and more retailers are, are doubling down on, on, on being able to fulfill orders and service customers online. And a lot of the incumbent traditional point of sale solutions doesn't work very well online. Uh, and again, and that's where our technology can help to create a slick um, online experience so that the customer can buy how they want through the channels that they that they want. Mm -hmm. So you're fairly bullish in the sector going forward in summary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we'll see a short term contraction as everyone figures out what's going on. But then it will it will go, come back again. For example, I know for a fact that one of our competitors, they actually launched during the last financial recession. Um, and they recently got acquired by by a big lender. So um, this is just challenging us to recalibrate where how we're spending our time and where we're spending our money. Um, and coming coming out of this, the other end, we will be much leaner, much stronger. Um, so in a way, it's uncomfortable, um, but it feels like it's actually kind of a healthy spring clean that was going to help us set us up for success uh, the next um, for for the next cycle. So I wanted to kind of dig into uh, your kind of executive MBA experience um, because obviously that's very relevant to a lot of people listening to this podcast. What were some of the most useful things that you learned um, on that program that you currently are applying or have applied to running your own business and running Divido? I think a couple of things. One was around um, actually writing the business plan for Divido. So it was actually an elective uh, within my program, something called the entrepreneurial project, where we had to write a business plan. So I figured I might as well write this boring business plan and get credit for it. Um, so, so that was a really good excuse to get that done. And, and in addition to that, we were also encouraged to recruit team members from our class to help us. I was able to uh, cherry pick some of the, some extremely senior executives from around the world, from different industries with different perspectives. Um, in, in a way, I wouldn't been I wouldn't have been able to hire a team like that to help me. So it was great that we could all collaborate on making the business plan even better than I thought it was going to be when I set out to do it in the beginning. So I think that was incredibly helpful. Access to really good people from around the world with different experiences, and I think kind of going down into the practicalities of it, we did a, a couple of days around scenario planning, um, which I thought was incredibly inspiring and interesting because we don't know which direction the world is going to go, but we can we can identify a couple of themes and trends and optimize for, for each of those outcomes. And whenever a shock happens, like the one we're currently experiencing, we already have a, a plan that we can kind of dust off and, and, and deploy. So I thought that was particularly relevant and interesting. And um, when you hire kind of MBAs, young professionals, what are some of the skills that you look for and how can um, those young professionals start cultivating the skills ahead of time? We don't particularly set out to hire MBAs per se. What we're hiring for is sort of attitude and track record. Um, so for us, we're a small company. Um, it's very important that we hire people that would fit well together. So having, you know, abundance of energy, being intelligent, being happy to roll up their sleeves and get stuff done. Uh, that is something that you can't necessarily read between lines on a CV. It's just something you have to feel and experience in, in person. So regardless of your, your degree, um, that will be kind of the key characteristics. And I guess the other aspect of that is transferable skills. 
So ideally, if you come from our industry, that might be good because you can hit, you can hit the ground running, you can teach us something we didn't know. But the biggest challenge I see with MBA supplying is that they haven't successfully been able to translate their past experiences into something that's actually relatable to me and our business challenges. Let's say they were an investment banker 10 years at, I don't know, um, Deutsche Bank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and they talk to me about being a derivatives trader or whatever. And it's like, okay, good for you. But look, we have a problem with um, scaling our SME self-service proposition. How, how are you going to help me solve that with your experiences? And, and I think that's the biggest challenge I have with, with MBA students. They think that MBAs, is, as long as you get that, you'll, you'll be, your doors will open. But it simply isn't true unless you can convey how your past experiences is going to be beneficial for this for the startup. So I think that's the, I guess, that's another challenge we have with MBA students. They come to us and say, hey, I think I can help you with strategy. And it's like, that's great. But yeah, it's not really a full-time job here. You have to do something else. And as a part of that, you can earn your stripes by being attentive and listening in and coming with suggestions and, and kind of deliver your strategy thinking once you're on the inside. Um, and then you kind of maybe carve out a role for yourself or, or create like a, a platform from, from which you can can um, can build your, your growth within the business and towards the strategy full-time role as the years go by. So let's say hypothetically, there's a company that you really love, a startup. You're not applying for a strategy role, but you really want to get involved with them in some sort of capacity. What is the best way to approach someone in the founding team or the executive uh, leadership just to give you some airtime to explain why you're interested? Yeah, I think what, what doesn't work is when people spam you on LinkedIn or they spam, uh, spam you on email. Um, I, I think... Uh, a lot of people they kind of adopt this spray and pray method approach or methodology um which uh, you know you as a recipient you can almost sense the the lack of authenticity or lack of focus or uh, or commitment um so uh, the way i think about it is sort of almost how our salespeople think about it there's only so many banks that we can sell this platform to so it wouldn't work for us to spray and pray instead it's a much more considerate um, sales cycle if you will so we usually start out by doing blueprinting where we figure out who who has the right job titles within the business who's connected to whom and then we start reaching out to individuals within the organization to start building up an understanding of, of their challenges and, and, and priorities and then it's about consuming public information about that company you know what's obviously the website number one thing but like blog posts might be more much might be more frequently updated consuming what they're talking about because usually that's the agenda that the business is trying to push at any one given time um, and figure out I mean maybe not so easy now with, with the lockdown but figure out if there's ways for you to meet this company are they hosting events are they attending exhibitions uh, because then you have kind of almost uh, the right to uh, intercept them or, or, or reach out to them in person um, so I think building a genuine interest for the company figuring out who works there and what they're working on and what the company is talking around it that will be kind of the, the number one thing. And then it's about kind of consuming information from a, from the wider ecosystem, uh, trends, uh, acquisitions, um, developments, um, and then being able to sort of distill that insight into a very targeted message um, with, a, with um, to, for example, to the, the co-founders or to the HR director, whatever it is, when you can kind of with credibility and authenticity say things like, 
hey, as a business, I understand this is what you're struggling with. This is what I see else have happening elsewhere in the market, um, or this is what I can help you with, and so on. So I think send a lot less emails, but put a lot more effort into each email. Um, that also makes it harder to just block, delete, and friend. <laughs> um, that's really helpful advice. I'm sure many of the listeners will appreciate it. And for our wrap-up, what is your mantra in times of crisis? Well, a, a motto that I've had for a long time is um, that I picked up many years ago is that people that walk in others' footsteps will never be first. Um, and I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but there's if you dig be beneath the, the obvious points there, I think it's so true that a lot of people are looking to others for guidance and advice, um, you know, self-help books and doing an MBA or whatever it is they think is the quick fix. But really, what's more powerful is to take a step back and to carve out your own way. And that's the only way you're going to stand out, the only way you're going to be different. Because, yeah, there are so many people with an MBA degree. There's so many people that have been working for an investment bank. Um, but, you know, all of them are not running a blog about uh, something or doing podcasts or writing books about it. Um, so I think it's about building that personal brand, a point of differentiation. Um, and I think that's for me what the motto kind of reminds me to do, that Chris, um, don't look at others. You, you're, you're the master of your own destiny and your own success if you put the effort into it. That's, that's, that's really wonderful. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure having you. Likewise, and, thank you for having me. And thank you everyone for listening to Write It Out at LBS. Stay tuned in for the next episode and keep safe. <laughs>